Um, I always have to give myself a minute. Hi, I'm Kat, compulsory reader bulimic. Thank you, Bob, for asking me to lead. Um, I just want to qualify a couple of things before I get into the meat of the story. Um, my story. Um, my story is my story. It isn't reflective of OA as a whole. Um, I am a human being full of flaws and defects and lots of other good things, but I've taken what I liked and left the rest from program and please do that as well with my share. Um, this is just what I've gotten out of this program. Um, okay. I'll, I don't give all of my numbers anymore when I lead. Here are the numbers I do give. My abstinence date is November 15th, 2012. So I just logged on to my OA app before I started this meeting. As of this very hour, that means I have 9.35 years of recovery, 112.37 months, 3,418 days, and 82,041 hours of recovery. And I did that one minute at a time. I read all that. Because it's not the years. The years feel, I don't know if I'll ever say how many years I have, God willing, I have years going forward, without feeling like an imposter. Um, I do this program one minute, one hour, one day at a time. If I think any farther ahead of that, I panic and I go into control mode. And when I go into control mode, I become the most intense version of my compulsive overeater, bulimic self. So for today, for right now, I've got one morning of abstinence. That's where I'm at. I'm going for the day, going for the gold today. Um, I don't share my weight. I don't share my weight loss. I don't share my weight gain over time because to me, when I share those numbers, it gives me a false sense of worth or a lack of worth, depending on which numbers I'm sharing. Um, a lot of my recovery in this program has been learning to love myself at any size, learning to love little girl me who thought she was way too big, learning to love high school me who thought she found the solution and started binging and purging, learning to love the lowest version of myself, which is the person who crawled into these rooms um, 10 years ago because I crawled in in the beginning of 2012. So to me, those numbers, I don't share them because I can't put too much weight on those numbers, pun intended. Um, so I just want to start off by kind of like shifting the weight to what feels more important to me now. And then I'll move backwards and tell you what it was like. Um, I love gratitude lists. I do them a lot. I try to do them when I start my day. I don't do them perfectly. I don't do them every day. I wish I said I did. But today, I did one. And today, I did gratitude for what I've gained since I got into programming, got into recovery. So here's what I have. Um, I show up not only to this program, but to life, prioritizing my sanity over vanity. I have the ability to be honest with myself. I have an incredible fellowship I would not otherwise have. Um, my faith is stronger than it's ever been. I have acceptance of myself and the world around me as it works. I have an ability to be vulnerable. I don't need to control everything. I'd like to still, but I'm able to accept that I don't have the ability to. Um, 
I'm able to sit with my thoughts, even when they're painful. Um, I've developed healthy coping, coping mechanisms. I'm able to stand in my own truth and stand up for myself. It was something I was severely lacking before I got into this program. And this program gave me, and I still have hope. That's my gratitude um, That off the top of my head for what this program has given me. And it has given me so much more than that. So just to rewind to the beginning what it was like. I used to say I was born a compulsive eater. I don't know anymore if that's true. Um, excuse me. A couple of years ago, my mom sent me a picture of a, a Halloween card that my godmother sent me when I was 10 months old. 10 months, not years. And I just started walking. And I guess my godmother caught wind of that. And so she wrote me a, a big old Halloween card that went something like, Happy first Halloween. It's a good thing you started walking so you'll be able to walk off all of the Halloween candy that your mom gets you. And I read that and I was like, oh, I've been taught how to be on a diet since before I even had the ability to control what was going into my body. Um, I was taught how to read food labels when I was six by my father. I was given my first trainer when I was 12 because my body started changing and that scared my parents. So they sat me down and had a talk with me about how your body's changing. You're going to put on weight. It's very important to be aware of what you're eating and how you treat yourself. Um, I was the only 12-year-old at the gym at that time. So now looking back from a point of recovery, it's not surprising that it felt like I hit the jackpot by learning about laxatives and bulimia. Um, once I was in high school, I had enough autonomy to walk into a store and buy those things without anyone watching me. And I felt like I would learned the workaround because I no longer had to worry about what I was eating. I mean, spoiler alert, none of this worked. It made me more miserable. It didn't change my body in the way I wanted. But in my mind, in my compulsive overeater mind, this is the solution to the constant berating that I was doing to myself to be thin, because in my family, being thin meant being successful. Um, bulimia didn't work. What it did do for me was help me to learn how to punish myself when I felt like I'd done something bad. I qualify as a bulimic not because it was ever a daily habit for me. It was a sparsely used habit. but I used it to punish myself, and I used it as a way to cleanse myself of food. <laughs> what I've really learned is that the food is a symptom of my greater problems, my inability to deal with my problems with a healthy coping mechanism. So I would binge, 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 and then I would purge. What purging would do, what binging would do is stuff all the feelings down that I didn't feel comfortable feeling, and then I would be so angry at myself because I did something imperfect and if I purged it was painful it made me cry it made me physically feel the way I felt mentally most of the time and it felt like a punishment um I also grew up in a religion I'm not going to qualify what religion it is because everyone's everyone's experience with religion is different I grew up in a religion where it did help me nurture a faith and a higher power but it also taught me to um, lean into feeling pain and feeling guilt and shame because I was supposed to give that up to God. 
Um, so anytime I punished myself, it felt right. It felt like, well, life is painful and you give your pain up to God. So it was a very convenient narrative that I worked into my eating disorder. Um, I don't want to stay in what it was like for too long. Every day was a diet. Um, most days I didn't stick to the diet. I was hopeful I would. And I would say, well, tomorrow I'll do it better. And then the second, the next day would come and I wouldn't do it perfectly. I would feel a lot of shame and I would find a way to punish myself, either physically or mentally. Um, I, do, I don't share pictures because I look at pictures of myself now when I was younger and I think, what was I so concerned about? But at the time, I felt like the biggest, most shameful human on the planet. Um and I've heard it said in this meeting, like, I wish I looked like what I thought, what I looked like back then, even though I thought I didn't look that way. Um, and I still tell myself that a lot to remind myself that my disease tells me lies all the time um, and that my worth is so much more than my body size. Um, I did a lot of damage to my body. I did a lot more damage to my mental health. Um, and then in college, and I will say a trigger warning for anyone who's here and can't stomach any talk about assault right now or listening to it on the podcast, just giving you a warning ahead of time. I'm not going into details, but it is part of my story, so I'm going to touch on it. Um, I went to college, and over the course of four years, I was assaulted three times by three different men, none of which were related. And it was this really interesting, I mean, it was horrific. And it caused me to cling more to food because food didn't talk back. At the time, it felt like food wasn't going to hurt me, which I guess it wasn't. I was hurting myself with food. But I felt like I could disappear into my room with a ton of food, and that was my safe space. And at the time, I am grateful I had that coping mechanism because that's all I had. Now, that doesn't work for me. Um, and what those experiences did at the time was fuel my eating disorder because they told me that the shame and the guilt and the horrible things you'd felt about yourself, other people have just confirmed that by letting you know that your autonomy doesn't matter, both by consent and your physical autonomy doesn't matter, that this is all you're worth. And even if you say no, which I did, they're going to prove that it doesn't matter. So, I went deeper into my hole of compulsive overeating, along with dealing with depression, anxiety, and later being diagnosed with PTSD. I mentioned those things because they all compounded into what my story is now, because now I'm a very proud, not just survivor, but a thriver, and my life, thanks to this program and outside help, is beyond what I ever thought my life would look like. Um, I also think it fueled me getting into these rooms because I hit a bottom where I thought I was going to have to quit my job. I was having trouble leaving the house. I was having multiple panic attacks a day. Food was very helpful to me in that time. And when I was mad at myself for not being able to control my feelings, control, um, I would punish myself with binging, with being mad that I couldn't stick to a diet, with purging. I, my self-esteem was at an all-time low. It didn't matter what my body looked like. It wasn't enough because I felt like I wasn't enough. So around 25, let's see, I'm 35 now. So yeah, around 25, 
my body finally started responding to all of the trauma that it had been putting up with for a long time. Um, and I wouldn't have said this then, but now looking back, I can say I was what would be qualified as if, a, if I was in a doctor's office, a healthy body weight. I hate saying that because health is not visible, but just to kind of give a sense of what I'm about to say next. Um, my body started responding to the way I was treating it and, and reflecting that. I started putting on weight um, at a, a really quick, really quick rate. And all of a sudden, I felt like what I had been kind of carrying around and keeping a secret, I was now wearing on the outside. Like, everyone could see that something was going on with me because it was a really fast change. I was in a really bad place, and I felt like kind of the armor I had was being chipped away at. So I had a therapist who had suggested I come to these rooms. I walked in on my first day at the cottage, and I heard a woman speak. I don't remember her name. I don't remember what she looked like. All I remember is that it was like she was radiating light and hope and recovery. And I thought, this is where I need to be. I'm coming back. And I left that meeting and I went straight through a drive through because I was terrified that I was going to have to make changes to the one thing I soothed with. And so slowly but surely over the course of six or seven months, I got a sponsor who handed me a highlighter and she said, use this, read the big book. Highlight everything that speaks to you. And I opened the big book and I was like, this is me. How do they know this is me? And it was the same reaction I had coming to the meetings. Like all of a sudden, all the things that I felt I shamefully was the only person feeling, I found a room full of people who understood that. And so I started working the steps with a sponsor, um, an incredible, incredible sponsor who was very patient. And she walked me through the steps in a way that I I expected recovery. What I didn't expect was the effect they would have on me. I did eventually get physical recovery, but the the sanity this program has brought me has done so much more than the physical recovery ever could. Um, Steps two and three, developing a stronger relationship with a higher power for me, completely changed the way I looked at my faith. It caused me to make a decision to leave my church something I never thought I would do. And I can honestly say that now, just for me, I have a stronger relationship with my higher power than I've ever had. Um, OA, and I'm also an Al-Anon, these are my, this is my church now. Um, And to any newcomers who are listening, I just want to be very clear. Everyone's idea of their higher power here is different. This is not a church. This is just where I show up to check in and make sure I'm checking on my faith, make sure I'm checking on my recovery. But I want to be very clear. This is not a church or a religion of any kind. Um, Step four really knocked me down. Uh, Step four was going over my list of resentments. It took me forever. I'm on step four again right now. Step four always takes me forever. I was very excited to be on step four this time because I've been real persnickety lately and I'm mad at a bunch of people. And the second they were like, all right, get ready, go on your step four, you can do it. It's like the pen weighs a thousand pounds. Because the interesting part of step four that I always forget isn't that I get to write down how mad I am at people. It's that I have to look at my part. 
who am I mad at and why am I still carrying that? How am I still keeping that resentment alive? Um, for example, my father is an alcoholic. He's active in his alcoholism, is a very difficult relationship. Five minutes. Thank you. Um, I have had that since I've come into program, looking at my father's alcoholism and my relationship with him has changed a lot. One of the things I've learned from my fourth step is that he gets to do what he wants to do. He has that choice. He has his own life to make choices for. I get to control what my relationship looks like with him. That relationship has been non-existent for the past couple of years because I haven't been able to have a real relationship with him without getting very triggered when being in the room with him because he can't, he hasn't had the ability to respect boundaries. So for me, that's what worked. I didn't realize that until I hit my fourth step and went, oh, I keep showing up expecting a different result. And then I get resentful when he is consistent in who he is. So I either get to change my behavior or expect to keep showing up and being resentful, which is what led to a decision that now helps me to love my dad in a detached way, to detach with love. Um, I don't see him very often. I don't talk to him very often. But when his father died earlier this year, it didn't take me a moment of hesitation to pick up the phone and call him because I can love my dad and see him as a human who's hurting and a fellow addict and separate that from the way I felt he was making me feel. That's what the fourth step did for me. Um, because I'm running out of time, I just wanted to talk about the other big component of this program that's really changed my life, which is service. Um, my sponsors have always been very clear. Be of service. Take a position in a meeting. We're addicts, right? I I want the focus to be on me all the time. When I'm left to my own devices, I'm thinking about me, me, me. What do I have to do? Who hurt me? Me, 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 me. Um, When I'm in the deepest depths of my disease, especially in the beginning of the program, but always service gets me out of that and helps me to focus on other people and giving back and reminds me of how far I've come in this program and how lucky I am. I'm a human being who's dealing with problems just like anyone else, but I'm also able now to make room and go, hey, here's all the amazing things that I have going on. And the one thing I will say, I did get a lot of amazing things from my family, and one of the things I learned from them that program has helped compound is that when you have, you give back. So I show up and I take a commitment in rooms, not just for me because it gets me to show up to meetings, but I remember what it was like to be a newcomer. Kitchen sink was my first meeting, and I remember how scared I was as a newcomer in these rooms. It was the first place I took a commitment, Um, and how inspiring it was to see people show up week after week and take a commitment and live their recovery. Um, And so I guess I'll just wrap up by saying I would not be here without this fellowship. I would not be here without my sponsor, who is like my second mother, who I love and adore. I wouldn't be here without my sponsees, who I I am so lucky not just to call sponsees, but call friends. And I am living a life far beyond my wildest dreams. And the last thing I'll say about service is that it seeps in. Service will seep in in a way you don't see until you turn around and go, oh, now I'm doing it in my everyday life. Um, I started my own business a couple of years ago. That is, service is in the forefront of it. We work a lot with people who've been displaced. 
it is incredible to see the network of people who want to show up when you are focused on service rather than focused on success or fine. I mean, obviously it's a business, right? So finance is part of it, but this program has taught me that I can prioritize my life in a different way. Success looks very different to me than it used to. Success looks like strong mental health, a good program, hopefully recovery. And if God forbid I lose my recovery one day, then I keep showing up. Um, Keeping my mouth shut and listening more in these meetings than I talk, this (laughs) current moment aside, and um, being of service and doing the steps, that's what's keeping me in recovery today. And I'll I'll wrap up there. Thank you so much for letting me be of service. Okay. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you asked a question last week, Please wait until the first three questions have been asked before raising your hand. And if you have a question, please click the raise your hand icon. Any questions? Danny? Oh, sorry, Denny. Oh, sorry. Great. Hi, thanks. Sorry, I'm on a bus. That was amazing. I took your number. Thank you. I just wanted to ask, um, I related to everything. The part that scared me the most was when you talked about starting your own business, and I wondered if you can talk a little bit about the link between this program and higher power helping in, 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 in fears around things other than just the food, like fear of life, taking chances, and things like that. And thank you so much. Sure. Thank you so much for the question. So the question was, um, how do I approach life decisions with pro- essentially with program tools around like fear, like how do you get, like fear is fear, kicking my butt. Yeah, okay. Um, okay, fear has not gone away. Fear is just, fear doesn't stop me down as much anymore, thanks to program. Because now, like before program, fear was something that would cause me to go, eh, don't take any more steps forward because something bad could happen. Now fear is more of a, well, I need to take a step back and, like say some prayers confer with my higher power a lot of times I have to ask myself what the motivation is behind fear for me a lot of my motivation behind fear is not looking bad or stupid or like a failure a fear of failure is a big one for me so especially with starting a business that comes up a lot um the best answer I can give for that is the serenity prayer I just have to, it's the same thing as taking it one hour, one day at a time. It's making business decisions. For example, we're about to leave in a month and go to a different country and work with people for a week. It's terrifying. Um, So I make a list and I go, okay, God, this is the list I have to do. Buy the plane tickets or whatever it is. You know, it it always seems preposterous in my head until I break it down. I feel like an imposter most of the time with my business and just in life. But program has taught me that if I didn't take action and sometimes act as if that I would regret it. And I'd rather live a life where there's been some failure and room to grow than a live a life than to live a life of regret. Um, and faith has a massive part in that. 
I'm not doing this alone. I'm doing this with a higher power. And I will say based on that, because I forget that, because all I want to do is just like take control all the time. I have a ridiculous number of reminders in my calendar every day. So at 8 a.m., an alarm goes off that asks, God, what is your will for me? At noon before lunch, uh, a serenity prayer goes off. At 2.30, when I usually start to think that I'm an imposter at work, something goes off that says, I think you should keep going just to see what happens. At 3, I have one that says happiness equals reality minus expectations. There's a lot of them. Um, I change them as new ones come up that seem helpful. Um, But I guess the very, the short of it is that I have to bring God into my fears because I can't surpass my fears on my own. Just like I have to bring God into my meals with me, I have to bring God into all my decisions with me. I hope that answers. That's amazing. That's amazing. Thank you so much. And I'm going to chat and see where we can get this recording because I need to listen to that again. Thank you so much. And let's see. Any other questions? Bob, go ahead. Uh, thank you very much, Kat. That was fantastic. Um, so I think you described, I was going to ask you if you have a daily uh, practice, but I think you just described it. But more importantly, um, these fears that you had, um, when, which steps do you think really helped you in the program overcome those? Oh, thank you for the question. Um, what steps helped me overcome my fears? Um, I mean, the quick answer is that I'm so grateful the steps are in the order that they're in because they've all, they all compound on one another. But the short of it is, I think, step seven, six and seven, recognizing my character defects was is the first part of this answer because I – it's very clear to me now that I had very low self-esteem when I came into the rooms. It was not clear to me then, and I was embarrassed that that was one of my character defects. Um, but what program has taught me to do is wear my defects as opportunities and not necessarily as badges of shame. And so, and then that really showed up again when I was doing steps eight and nine, because while I certainly had a long list of things that I owed a proper amends for, there were also a couple of amends that I made where I learned I rewrote history to be the bad guy. I called an old roommate and apologized for getting a dog without asking him because he was away on a shoot. And he goes, Kat, we were all part of that decision. He goes, I don't know where you got this, but we all made that decision together. But I had completely rewritten it and been walking around like a queen a-hole, just sure that I was the worst person alive because I made this decision and brought a dog into his his space without asking him. Um, so, yeah, I think just kind of not – the steps helped me to realize that I am allowed to be flawed without being an absolutely terrible human being and that the best way to get out of that is by being of service and being vulnerable enough to talk about it with other people. Um yeah, so I guess step nine was the most pleasantly surprising because I was scared of it. But they've all definitely compounded in a great way. Does that answer your question? Okay, thanks. Um, Vincent? 
Okay, thank you so much for your share. It's really wonderful. I have a question. You you say that you live a life beyond your wildest dreams. Can you elaborate what that actually means in reality? Yeah. And then if there's any key actions that you have actually taken beyond the general program to actually get you there. Sure. Thank you for the question. Um, what does the life beyond my wildest dreams actually look like? Here's what my life looks like today. Um, I am 35 and single and happy with that. Um, with the answer that I give now, I came from a very traditional household, which was like, get married at 25, have kids. That's the goal. And I'd always known I wanted a career. Um, so I was like, I'll work that in. And then I started learning through this program that if someone comes along, if a partner comes along, um, that I would like to think my higher power has sent to me, then great, I will be open to that. But that doesn't define me. So right now I am happily single. Um, I have a job I love that I wouldn't have been able to maintain had I not gotten recovery because it's been pretty crazy. I work in entertainment. It's crazy hours. Um, there's no HR. We're all lunatics. And I've learned to keep my side of the street clean uh, in my job. And through step 11, I started going to meditation classes with a sponsee or excuse me, with a fellow. And one of the meditation questions one time was what truly makes you happy and I realized that one of the happiest moments I had was when I'd been traveling and I think this must have been like eight years ago so I've prioritized traveling um I actually just got back from a three-day trip to Israel because my sponsor's son got married so I just hopped over real quick and through traveling I've met some people who I now call family, and they're also part of the reason I have the business I have. A lot of my business takes place overseas. Um, the fact that I am a 35-year-old, happily single woman who has a job she loves, who can fly halfway across the world alone and hop off and feel like I get to meet new people and experience new things and feel open and vulnerable and fear isn't driving that – that's something I never, ever even would have dared to dream of because it felt so extremely different than the life I was living. And more importantly than any of that, it's what makes me happy. I understand that that might not be the right size answer for someone else. So being able to own that as, no, this is what me makes me happy and that's okay, has also been a big part of that. Um, yeah. Thanks for the question. Any other questions? Hi, this is Deb. Hi, Deb. Um, so one of the questions I was thinking was about traveling and food. So can you talk about what, you know, what works for you? Because I'm, I travel once a month also, and I would just love to get some more experience around that. Thank you. Thank you for the question. Yeah, traveling and food is an interesting experience. <laughs> um, I personally, so my abstinence is three meals a day, two optional snacks, no sugar. Sugar, I can't do it. If it's sweet, if it is not sugar, but it's dressed up like it's, I don't do it. Um, that is pretty easy for me to maintain no matter where I go. That comes down to people pleasing for me more than not being able to find options that don't have sugar in them. Um, when I cross the international dateline, or for example, when I was flying back from Israel and I left 
Jerusalem. I left on the plane at 10 a.m. and then I got back on the same day at midnight, but it, I'd been in travel for like 29 hours. So for days like that, I talk to my sponsor and I say, I'm eating big meals today because today is an especially long day. And I eat bigger meals and usually it's fine. And then if I'm on a plane for a while, I just sleep, which was one of my helpful tools in the beginning of recovery. Like if I just want to keep eating, 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 my sponsor used to be like, why don't you just take a nap and see how you feel after your nap? So I do that. Um, making, I guess what I'm saying is I make a plan. I go, I've been to some very, very remote parts of the world where options are not a thing. Um, that is not an excuse for me to eat sugar. I will always find something and I will bring something as an emergency. Um, I tend to abstain from white flour and processed food in the States because it doesn't agree with me health wise. I don't have that issue as much overseas. Basically, I do my best with what I'm presented with staying away from sugar and maintaining my three meals a day to optional snacks. If anything feels wonky, I contact my sponsor as soon as I can. And usually her answer is, if your mind was not in a compulsive state, because there's been things where I'm like, I took a bite, I didn't know it was sweet. She goes, you don't know what you don't know. The fact that you immediately picked up the phone and called your sponsor and stopped eating meant it wasn't a compulsive decision and that you were still in your recovery. Um, So I guess just a plan and and a lot of honesty is really what gets me through that. Thanks for the question. Tanya? Hi. Thank you so much for your share. It was lovely. Um, I had a question. I was curious. I know they talk about in recovery that there's sort of three phases, the emotional, the spiritual, and the physical. And you said your physical didn't come right away. Can you talk more about that and what do you think was what it what do you think it was that happened or needed to happen for you to embrace the physical recovery? So I feel like that's the that's what's lagging for me as well. So I'd appreciate that. Thanks. Sure. Thank you for the question. Um, we have five minutes. Thank you. Um, my physical recovery did not come right away. How I dealt with that, I think at the time it worried me because I was, still, you know, in the beginning, I was still, for me personally, I was still there for the vanity, especially in the beginning. The sanity was starting to sink in, but I was like, well, this has to work. If it's not going to work, how am I ever really going to feel sane? Um, it required me getting honest with myself. And what I will say is I... In the beginning, my meals were, my abstinence was three meals a day, nothing in between. So my meals, I was like one plate as a meal. I have never fit more food onto one plate than in the beginning of my abstinence. Talk about buffet eater. So I put on weight once I came into program, but I was abstinent and I felt good about that. And so slowly but surely for me, I would just take it, I had to take it down to like one meal at a time. What are we looking at? And then I had to bring my higher power in and go, what do you want me to eat? Please want me to eat a lot. What do you want me to eat? Um, because without food, I felt like I'd lost my, my security blanket. So I would pile it on. It took me a while. It took me a while to release the food. And then it took my body a while to release the weight. Um, so that's, I guess the thing I wish I could have said to myself back then was have patience. It's coming. You're on the right track. Um, yeah, I'll keep it simple with that. Have patience. It's coming. You're on the right track. And I, I guess I'll tack on to that. I do have health problems now. 
that um, affect my body size. I have a lot of hormonal problems that are my doctor is very lovely, and she's like, we don't know why, but sometimes if you've been through a life of extreme dieting, it can have this cause and effect reaction. Um, so I am going through my body changing without me having changed my food or exercise, and that's been really difficult. I just go back to one day, one meal at a time. It's all I can do. I If I'm in charge too much, it's not a good look, and I don't feel good about it. So one hour at a time if I need it, one meal at a time. But the physical recovery comes. Thanks. Any other questions? No? What do we do if there's no more? Oh, okay. Anna? Anna? Hello. Thank you so much. Um, awesome lead. Um, I um, was just wondering if you could share, like, maybe, like, everything again um, in the sense of your food, <laughs> your food plan and then what, like, how many meetings, how many commitments you have a week. Just, like, kind of, like, your whole program overview. I've been in program in a while and feel like I need to, like, overhaul aspects it's good to hear like what you're doing I think maybe also maybe second part is like when you feel like you're feeling a little far away from program how do you bring yourself back maybe that's a piece too oh thank you thanks for the question um what does my program look like meeting schedule the whole beautiful rigmarole of it sure why Um, not yeah okay uh, meetings right now, usually I do two OA meetings a week, one Al-Anon meeting a week, full transparency. My meetings lately haven't been great. One of my home meetings got moved to a time that's a little rougher for me to make. So I'm, I'm in the market to shake up my meeting schedule. If anyone has any meeting recommendations, I'm all ears. Um, uh, but yeah, showing up to meetings every week, I have to take a commitment. I, it's, I have a day job and a bit. So, like I said, if I don't have commitments, I'll find a reason that some emergency is going on that I just need to take care of, and then I'll find a different meeting. I'll find excuses for anything if I feel like something else becomes more important. So I have to take commitments at meetings. Um, I talk to my sponsor weekdays at 8.15 in the morning. I talk to my sponsor at 9 every morning. Um, I make my bed every morning. That might sound weird. But it's this weird little, like, keep your space clean moment with God. I feel very weird if I don't make my bed. Um, Probably, like, clean bed, clean head kind of mentality. Uh, Is that time? 